0: how cool is that song? How cool is that worship? How cool is our God? Surrounded by Him. Oh, I think it'd be a good idea to hum that song for the afternoon. Just get it in your head. We might sing it again at the end. So, I've got a lot to say this morning, so I'm going to say, go and sit down for a bit and uh, you guys can be seated. I'm going to pray when you're seated this morning. Father, I just thank you for the word that you've Put in my heart for us this morning, and I pray, Lord, that as a church congregation, both here gathered in Handorf and listening online, that by your spirit you'd speak to us, you'd stir us up, Lord, you inspire us, Lord, to become um, more like you, Lord, to understand that you desire for us to become stormproof. And so I pray, Lord, that you would be with us in the next 20 minutes or so, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's pretty cool to be gathering in church week by week at the moment um, it kind of could become a week by week proposition as the covid scenario seems to be running out of control in other parts of our country um, we will keep you posted if things change and they have already for weddings and funerals from next wednesday uh, we are not 100 percent sure whether that will also by default because it has up till now included church services Uh, which if there's a cap of 100 people back put onto our building, we'll have to go back to two services as an example. So we haven't heard that. We haven't been told what what the deal is, but we'll investigate. So keep an eye on your email box during the week to just know what's happening next Sunday. At the moment, we are thinking it'll be just like this, and uh, that's pretty cool. But uh, we get on with it, right? It's a good thing, and we're grateful to be in South Australia and uh, living with the level of relative freedom that we've got. This is my absolute pleasure this morning to bring this message. I think it's probably going to be one of the better sermons I've preached for a long time. Uh, just a bit of self-assessment with regards to its intent. I'm not talking about my delivery capacity or any, uh, my skill level, but uh, the intent of it is um, it is actually on firm foundations is the graphic I got Kirby to prepare for me during the week. But actually what I've come to think about more as I've contemplated is this: how family is where we learn to storm our life. It's meant to be. Let me say that again. Family, our family upbringing, our family um, in church is actually the mechanism to storm-proof our lives. As you would know, we've gone to Fiji, not this year, but many years as a church on a missions trip to build uh, homes for people who can't afford to have a house to live in, and we build them a very uh, basic um, form of shelter is what I'd call it, but f- for the people that we give them to, it is absolutely a huge step up into a place that's comfortable. And in Fiji, it's in the tropics, so it's also cyclone proof. And Pastor Michael um, Nassau from Latoka informed me after the storm season last summer that all of our cyclone proof places are still standing well, they're not dilapidated, they haven't blown away. They are strong. Um, they're stormproof. They're built to a cyclone-rated um, building code. So in other words, they're built in anticipation of cyclones. You don't have to build a house in South Australia with anticipation of cyclones. But I've noticed over the years that uh, building anything here, um, it's uh, laughingly said it's over-engineered. That's a good thing. Because there's actually a principle in place that we actually prepare ourselves for something beyond what we expect. Family is meant to be the place where we learn to be able to be, there's a, a key word that's a bit of a buzzword, resilience. No, we're not talking about resilience, we're talking about storm proof in our lives. We're talking about the capacity to enter into and get hit by a massive storm and stand strong and still be there at the other side of it, still going. Like, And I've noticed that a lot of us, a lot of people in life that I've encountered, including myself, have proven at times to be anything but stormproof. Storms have come and bowled me out of the boat. Storms have come and tipped me on my head. Storms have come and caused me to doubt all sorts of things. And Jesus has got some things to say about stormproofing our life. And so we're going to be, I just want to get some scriptures into your uh, thinking this morning and I'll unpack this. We're actually going to spend time in Matthew chapter seven, the whole chapter. It's a fantastic uh, book of the Bible. Sorry, uh, portion of the scripture which has got some keys in it for us to stormproof our life. I've never actually seen it in this life before, which is why I'm excited about this message because it's like a brand new sort of revelation for me about what this scripture can actually do in your life and in my life. So let's let's start, though, however, with a couple of things. In our church, C3 Church Adelaide Hills, if you've been around for a while, you know we at uh, times talk about core values. We've got four underlying core values in our church. Love God, love people, serve God, and serve people. We have at times uh, found that there are people who, with the passage of time, within the context of our church, because those four things are important to us, they're happy for the first two. They're happy to love God and love people. But somewhere in the mix, the whole idea and our... A mechanism of communicating it is that serving has kind of got, oh, I don't want to do that. I just want to come to church, worship, give them a tithe. Good message this morning, Teagues, by the way. Go home, or I might have a coffee while I'm here. Funny about that, the coffee's served by somebody who's serving. um, Willingly, we don't pay our coffee baristas, they they serve. Um, And so I have found over the years that um, departing, People, this is a massive generalisation. People who have not remained in our church long-term aren't able to line up with those other two core values of serving, and we unashamedly put them there. And I'm going to explain why. This morning, yeah. um, it's like the four belong together. Because listen, let me talk to you about this. So let's let's read this. This is Matthew chapter twenty-two, verses thirty-seven to forty. Jesus replied. He was asked a question. and He says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, to love your neighbour as yourself. The law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's the first core two core values of our church, love God and love people. Okay. Let's move on down. As I said, we, we like to also say uh, that needs to be accompanied by some action. Not just, oh, I love God. Oh, Steve Alcock, I love you, you're a brother. It's like, it's like no, Steve, Steve's going to go, well, you're talking the talk, Bruce, but where's the walk? What is the walk? And James is brutal with this. James, the, gospel, the, the epistle of James was a thorn in the flesh of Martin Luther. He didn't think James should even be in the Bible because it seemed to him to confuse the issue of we're saved by faith and faith alone. But James has got this little kind of addendum which is the way Luther saw it, it's like it's an addition to faith. And James is not saying it's an addition, he's saying it's a proof of faith. He's saying if you claim to love God and love people, you're going to be a servant. You're going to serve people and you're not going to do it because somebody asks you to go on a roster or someone asks you to participate it's because in your heart of hearts, you have been transformed into a server. So we love God. We love people. We serve God and we serve people and we do it with great joy and happiness. Is like we understand it's how we actually become who we're meant for to be. So James 2, 14 to 17 says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? There it is, right there, brutal, blunt, right in your face. Can such faith save them? That's the, that is the very sentence that Martin Luther was really choked on his, his uh, good dark German beer. Um, <coughs> we went and visited where he lived in... Um, It'll come to me in a minute. I should know this, but anyway, it's a town in Germany, uh, Wittenberg. There it is. It came back to me, and uh, he there's a monu- there's a whole bunch of information there, and he allegedly married his former nun wife, um, which is why he broke away from the Catholic Church, and he got married. But he he spoke glowingly of her beer making capacity. <laughs> she was a great brewer, amongst other things. She actually appeared to me to be the person in the family who worked. She did the gardening, as and grew all their fruit and vegetables, tended to the animals, did all the work. Martin Luther, just read books and sat in his, in his library and debated with people. I digress. Anyway, he got a little bit upset about the fact that the book of James, uh, which is in the Bible, has got this to say about faith. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If you say to them, go in peace. Keep warm and be well fed, i.e., I'll pray for you. I'll just pray for you. That's, that's my work. It's like he's saying, uh, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, is not, if it's not accompanied by action, listen to this, is dead. In other words, faith has got two dimensions to it and it doesn't work without the two in place. There's this sense of trusting God and believing God, and then there's this reality of that in and of itself transforming me. I'm there for you. What can I do to help? What can I do to help you? What can we do to help you? What can we do together to help others? There's this momentum that builds in our hearts when faith and works together are working together, and we get that. So we love God. We love people. Serve God. Serve people. How are we feeling about that? Anybody feeling encouraged, we can do this. Yes. We haven't put anything on the table, I don't think as a church, this church has not put, in, not put anything on the table that can't help us. Yes. We've made some mistakes over the years. We've stuffed things up. We've implemented things that we probably couldn't have or should have or changed or whatever. And Let's just say we're human, completely human. But I don't feel in any way, shape or form to ever apologise for those four core values. Love yes. God, yes. love people, serve God, serve people. So Amen? Yes. So... Getting back to my main theme for this morning. Some questions to ponder this morning are this. What foundations were laid in my life? If you were to think about the foundational, what what are the building blocks that were put into your life when you were a kid? From the moment you were born into whatever your family looked like, growing up, going to school, if that's what you did... Going on to further education or finding a job, maybe leaving home, maybe you got kicked out of home, maybe your home was a complete and utter cot case. Let me tell you, you learned things. Whether it was good, bad, or indifferent, you learned things. And the brutal reality is that those things are bedrock foundational in our lives. We can be learning to be suspicious. We can learn to be accusative, we can learn to be manipulative, we can learn to be loving, we can learn to forgive, we can learn also, and everything in between. That's why I'm so grateful that the Bible says in 2 Corinthians that if anyone is in Christ, they are a brand new creation. There's a sense in which the slate needs to be cleaned, no matter what your upbringing was, no matter if it was... At the bottom of the pile or the top of the pile of an excellent family, building great values into you, moral virtues, all that stuff, good for you. It doesn't count for anything because in Christ you're a brand new creation. Now, I don't mean that to be dismissive of what you are and who you are and where you've come from. Uh, I don't mean it in that sense to say it doesn't matter. In comparison to what God needs to do in us, he needs me, he needs you to be a brand new creation That's a scary thought for me as a pastor because what he has done is he's put the responsibility for the growth and nurture of that brand new bub in Christ in our hands. We're the family. We're the mums and dads, the aunts and uncles. We're the brothers and sisters. We're the ones who are actually in the business of helping Any person who claims to be a Christian that connects with our church, we're in the business of helping them to build their foundations to storm-proof their life. You want to storm-proof your life? Let me tell you how to do it. Who wants to learn how to do that better? Who thinks that the Bible's maybe got some things to say about this? Oh, give me a wave. I mean, that was about three hands. I think we need 100% because the Bible is where it's at, right? Um. Let me ask you another question, because this particular chapter finishes with an interesting little analogy that Jesus uses after a bit of teaching. So what's happened to the building, in inverted commas, of your life? Think of a storm, a recent storm. What happened? Did the windows blow in? dwarf come off? The roof get lifted? Did the place get flattened? Was it damaged to the point where you wondered whether it was worth rebuilding? Is it worth getting back into God? Is it worth even going on with my faith? Is it worth trying to restore that friendship? Is it worth making that phone call to that person that just the storm was so filthy, things that were said that were so hurtful or disgusting, I don't know whether I'm even interested in going back to try and fix that? It's like how your foundation stones sit will determine whether you choose or don't choose to rebuild, demolish, start again, Many people walk out of situations that are difficult and I want to say this carefully, sometimes that's the sensible thing to do because the situation's unsafe. But putting that particular dimension aside, I, I've noticed that many people move out of relationships, walk away from friendships, ignore situations because they are not stormproof. The storm's too much for them. I've not actually sat through a cyclone, but I've heard people talking about the ones in Fiji most recently, but I remember some friends that were in Darwin when Cyclone Tracy hit in 1974, I think it was. And one of the things they unanimously uh, talked about, anyone who was in Darwin said, is the terror of the relentless screaming of the wind. Let me say, the relentless terror of the screaming of the wind. Everything is roaring with this massive 240 kilometre plus per hour plus blast of air going past everything on the ground. thing about building so- buildings for cyclones is we know that we can anticipate them. The difficulty we've got is we don't know what storm's in front of us, how big a storm is in front of us, what's around the next corner. We continue to pray for, and we must keep praying for Tim and Susan, Samuel, Scott. That's a storm. It's a massive, it's a, like, it's a cyclone on steroids storm for any mum and dad, for any family, for any person to have themselves backed up to that place. It's a storm. And so as their church family, along with other people, their own natural family and friends, we're gathering around them with prayer. We're praying for them to be... Uh, as storm-proof as possible, of course we're believing for a miracle. We're praying for that at the same time, but we want them to have this sense of security in spite of the chaos, in spite of hearing that roaring wind screaming at them. We want them to say, God's got this. Our God can be trusted. How do we get there? Let's read Matthew chapter seven. I've got to, I've split this up into I think it's about nine points. So taking notes, there are actually let me just count them up again. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's nine points out of this chapter which you could write down as steps. These are steps you could check yourself in regularly to ensure that you are stormproof. So let me start. Chapter seven, verse one. Interesting that Jesus starts this teaching. as a little sermon about stormproof in your life. First thing he mentions, could have been all sorts of things. The first thing he mentions is do not judge or you too will be judged. You want to be a person who has storms in your life? Become judgmental. Just pass judgment on people. Pass judgment on issues. Pass judgment on what you don't know about. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured. I'm going to read these uh, and then I'm going to slip down to my notes about what I think they mean in a more practical sense. Verse 3, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all, uh, all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll be, see, uh, be able to see clearly and remove the speck from your brother's eye. Moving on to another line of thought, Jesus goes on, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So these are all standalone thoughts in their own right that are really helpful truths about how to live your life. Verse 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For anyone or everyone who asks receives... The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Verse 9, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you'd have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. There is that statement again from, and it's repeated in Matthew 22, sums up the law and the prophets. What's that? Loving your neighbour. Verse 13, enter the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Just remember that thought. Many people are on the road to destruction. Um, But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Being on the road to destruction, generally speaking, is a choice. Think about that. Like, oh, you, know, no, no, you can make, you and I have all made, I think, well, I definitely for myself. I've made destructive choices in my life. I've just leapt onto that broad road. And I'm here. Woo-hoo. It's taken me a little while to realise I'm not supposed to be on the broad road with everybody else who's whinging, complaining, whatever, and I'm supposed to be over here. And the, the narrow road of, in spite of those troubles, I'm going to praise God, for example. All right, so we've ended through the narrow gate. Verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you'll recognise them. Do people pick uh, grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by your fruit you will know them. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only those or the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There's a little bit of that faith without works sentiment. Listen, Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He goes on. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and in your name many miracles. So we're talking about people who've got gifts in the spirit of God to do miraculous signs and wonders in the church, in the community, around the world. Then I will plainly tell them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's like, oh, hang on. Really? Okay, we'll get to this. Verse 24, this is where Jesus sums it up. Therefore, everyone, say say therefore. Therefore. I just picked these verses out to start with by themselves when I was preparing this message, and started preparing this message, and I realised that the, the therefore is a really important linguistic link, narrative link, to what he's just said. The whole chapter... Proceeds this, therefore, which is why this message has got steps about how to stormproof our life. Therefore, say it again, therefore. therefore. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice hear that again, hears the word and does it -- is like a man, a wise man, who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation, say foundation, foundation, on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Storms can take you out. Storms can take me out, but they don't have to. Storms are meant to take us out, but they're not meant to. Seems a bit of a strange thing to say. They are, but they're not meant to. We're not meant to go down with them. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Okay, so very quickly, I've got these points for you from that scripture. Number one, these are the nine points. You can go back and mark and highlight the verses that these apply for if you want to. Number one, take care in judging others. Don't do it. If you do understand this, what goes around comes around is what Jesus is saying. The measure you use, it'll be used to you. We live in an extremely complicated, judgmental world. We have got, in my view, some perilous days in front of us as Christ followers to do with particularly the hostility towards the gospel, the hostility towards people of faith, the hostility that comes from uh, identity politics. Identity politics, let me tell you, my belief is it is actually birthed in the pits of hell and it is anti-Christian to the core. Identity politics has got nothing to do with you and me finding out our identity is in Christ. It's not in who we feel we are or say we are or think we are. My identity completely and utterly rests in who Jesus says I am, yes. child of God, loved by God. That's my identity. Yes. And as we take a stand for things like that, as we say, no, hang on, there's another way of viewing life. Let me say, judgment and judgmental comments are going to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. The best thing we can do is to not be judgmental, full stop. But there are times where we got to stand our ground. I got no doubt about that. But beware! Don't don't be judging people by what they look like. Don't judge people because of what they wear clothes wise. Don't judge people by the length of their hair or the colour of their skin. Or the the uh, you know, there's a Facebook group that I have sometimes follow uh, and look at called the English Language Police. Anybody else follow that particular? Oh my gosh! People get so upset about how people speak English and so this, this is a worldwide Facebook group so there's people from America, England, Australia, other English speaking countries and then there's the poor suckers who tune into that who don't know how to speak English trying to get a bit of a heads up and man uh, it, it's brutal. Some people get so upset about grammar and spelling and how things are said and like you know, English is such a hard language and you guys are all crazy and what do you say in your country for this and what do we say in that country for that? And It can become judgmental. Even a bit of humorous fun like this. It's actually meant to be a fairly fun group but there's some people who get booted off it because they, so, they just get so judgy. Like, don't be one of those crowds. That's my one point. <laughs> Number two. Um, this is a big one. Watch out for and be aware of your own hypocrisy. Not always easy to see your own hypocrisy. It normally takes a good friend to tell you you're a hypocrite. It's like, whoa, that's a brave person too, by the way. But become aware of it. Be aware of your blind spots. Let me just reiterate, these teachings are all posited around Jesus' concluding comments about storms coming. So being judgmental is going to cause you to have a life that's not resilient to storms. You'll get somebody who eventually, if you're judgmental, I guarantee you'll encounter somebody who judges you unjustly, judges you harshly, judges you publicly, and uh, it'll take you out. You might think you're strong, but let me just say the, the accuser, the devil, he's got a fairly good arsenal and repertoire of information to just hit your sweet spot when it comes to judgment. Guarantee it. So, just the best thing to disarm him is don't go there yourself. Don't be judgmental. Be aware of hypocrisy. Number three, don't compromise compromise your principles to win people with no principles. Let me say it again don't compromise your principles to win people with no principles. These are all just pulled out of those scriptures above. Um, That's the one about not giving to dogs what's sacred. That's your principles. That's what you know is holy. Don't water down the gospel. Don't let people lead you astray. Don't compromise your principles to win people with no principles. Number four, walk by faith. I also had to add to this one. Understand God is your source of life. Ms. Tegan's testimony this morning, she found that out. She found out after a journey of discovery that it is all about trusting God. And he's the one who provides for us. So not only is it walking by faith, faith requires humility. It actually relies on my personal pride and priding myself on being self-sufficient, priding myself on making good decisions, priding myself on being well-educated and informed about topics, whatever. Faith requires me to go, you know what, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask God. I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to seek. I'm going to look for other answers. I'm going to humble myself and knock on the door. Knock on the door for someone to help me. Knock on the door for God to help me. Knock on the door with prayer. Walk by faith. That's number four. Number five, pretty straightforward one. I was actually brought up with this little one tucked in. So this was one of my foundational worlds. Uh, upbringing in my family, treat others as you would have them treat you. If you want people to be nice to you, be nice to them. When you want people to be horrible to you, be horrible to them. It's like um, treat people how you, you'd like to be treated. So if you're a masochist and like to be in trouble and getting sworn at and accused and abused all the time, just pick up that mantle and run with it. You can have it. But if you want it to be the other way around, practice what you, you want. Yeah. If you want to have kindness expressed into your world, well, nobody's kind to me. Well, let's just back up a step. Who, who initiates this? The Bible seems to say to me it always starts with you and me, as far as these things are concerned. If I want to experience kindness, I've got to be kind. If I want to experience forgiveness, I've got to be a forgiver. If I want to experience graciousness from people, be a gracious person. Let people make mistakes. You might be a perfectionist. You might be a person who has very high standards for yourself and that's a great strength in any person's life but it can be a massive Achilles heel in this arena because it's not possible to be gracious to another person if you can't be gracious to yourself. You love your neighbour as you love yourself. You're gracious to your neighbour as you're gracious to yourself. You're forgiving to your neighbour as you forgive yourself. This is how Jesus is telling us to storm-proof our life. Treat others as you'd have them treat you. That was number five. Number six, don't follow the crowd. Basically the the narrow and wide path. Don't follow the crowd. Um, Look for the easy to miss but abundant life that is not always the popular choice. It is easy to miss it. It's really easy to jump on with the crowd. It's really easy to jump on with whatever's going on. And I want to say, mentioning identity politics before, there's a lot of big picture issues kind of going on behind the scenes that are channeling community the Western world, the whole world, in a particular direction. And we can get all uppity about that, and I don't think that's the point of it all. They are birth pangs. Jesus is coming back. None of the turmoil in the world, none of the issues that are, are been reported in the media about the tension between the West and China and... Uh, you know, 50 years ago, as it was the West and Russia. These things are all birth pangs. The Bible just says, "Look, don't, don't, don't get overly, like, don't freak out about it. Understand the signs. But the number one thing to get out of the signs is just be excited. Jesus is coming back. I don't know when. I don't know how. It might be after you and I are long gone, dead and buried. But I know this: that He wants us to um, continue to not follow the crowd. Be the one who says, hang on a minute, we can do this differently. Hang on, let's cooperate. Hang on, let's, let's, whatever. That was number six. Number seven, take care around people who claim to hear from God. Jesus' pretty straightforward way of checking this thing out is observe their fruit. What's their life look like? If they're married, what's their marriage look like? If they've got kids, what are their kids like? Are the sort of people who keep their word? Like, don't don't be dazzled by the person who says, oh, God speaks to me. I read this in the Bible and God said this, God said that. One of the dangers of um, online Christian input is that people who are teaching online, people who are presenting stuff online, aren't known to you. Unless you happen to be part of our church and watching this service online, and you do know me personally. That's not the same as watching somebody online who you've never met, never met a person who goes to their church, you've never met a person who knows them personally behind the scenes. Uh, They may never have come across your radar anywhere. Jesus is saying just be careful when you're listening to people like that that you don't know. Watch for their fruit. And fruit is obvious when we do life together. Someone asked me yesterday how long I've been a pastor. I said, hard to believe it's 25 years and they were like really 25 years and in the one church I said yeah it was a church that we started and it was like they were a little bit just taken aback by that comment and in the light of what I'm saying here I like the fact that I've been around for 25 years and some of you have been around for nearly all that time we've been able to watch each other's fruit and so what we say to each other about God can be trusted because we've Yeah, the fruit's there. Sometimes the fruit's a bit beat up by a storm or two, or a hailstone, or you know, a a season of difference of opinion, whatever that might be. But by and large, our fruit's there, and it's like we trust what we say about God, and that's the way it should be. So, just a word of caution: not saying don't listen to stuff online and anything derogatory like that. Just saying Jesus is saying, you want to storm-proof your life? Be careful. The eighth one is being gifted in the spirit. Doesn't prove anything about our current connection to Jesus. Whoa! Let me say that one again. So that scripture, that that uh, section of teaching from Jesus, is a a tricky one, right? Just because a person claims to have done spectacular things in the spiritual realm, doesn't mean they've got a current connection to Jesus. The proof of that is Romans eleven twenty nine 29, that says this. The gifts of God and his calling are irrevocable. So a person can get a spiritual gift of healing put on their life in a moment of time and then turn their back on God, have nothing to do with his family, go around the world with the healing gift, saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And God works miracles through that person. Have you noticed that? It's a very confusing until you read 11, Romans 11:29. 11, God doesn't take his gift back. The brutal reality is, if I'm honest with myself, if he took it back because I dropped the ball in some other area of my life, the gifts he's given me would have been taken back. But he leaves them in my care. He leaves them in our care. So don't be dazzled, Jesus' warning. Don't be dazzled by a person who's gifted in the spirit. Again, watch for their fruit. Walk with them. Tricky, huh? Mm. Mmm. And then the last one, point nine, is um, faith and action makes our lives storm-proof. So our church family is built on what is in the word, not what is in the world. There's a whole lot of what we would consider normal community expectations are a part of our church family. We live in the community and we're a part of it. But we're also, in another sense of the word, we're not of this world. There's meant to be another dynamic within our family. And my prayer is that this family, going forward another 25 years, and then another 25 years beyond that, would continue to be the place where you and I can learn to lay foundations of resilience and storm-proof our lives, why don't we stand at our feet. As you stand, I want you to think about your life this morning. Have you got storm damage in some part of your world? Is there a part of your life that if you were to sit down with me and have just an honest 20-minute talk, you would concede that theres I'm a little bit vulnerable, a little sensitive, a little bit messed up, I'm a little bit ticked off, I'm a little bit cranky, whatever, in that arena of my life? God wants you to be healed. God wants us to not limp through life with that wound or with that Um, infirmity with that sense of scarring or difficulty so if your life is storm damaged set about rebuilding the foundation first I've been painting my roof at home the last week and uh, I'm a little I'm pretty pumped about the result bought a spray gun, I've been spraying the roof, and it's, it's a colour-bond roof, and it's looking great, but, I'm saying this publicly, but I probably haven't, to the letter of the law and wisdom, um, cleaned the site properly, and people who know would probably say, Bruce, So it's looking great, but I might have to report in in about five years' time how the paint job's doing on the roof, because it might've kind of separated company. (laughs) So what I'm not saying to do this morning is to spray paint over a problem. Don't try and cover the problem let God put a new foundation stone under that. If a house foundations get ruined for some reason, there are companies that can come in, building companies and engineers who can design with machinery to come in and remove part of the foundation, hold the thing up, but either remove the foundation and or fortify it so that the building remains intact. So I wanna pray this morning for you that you would actually let the Holy Spirit attend to your foundations. If you've got some broken foundational dimensions from your upbringing as a kid, let the Holy Spirit in, the, the engineer of engineers, the builder of builders, to put a new foundation under your life. Let me pray. Father, today, right now, for everyone, else. pray you would come by your Spirit, Lord, and that you would indeed today inject new concrete You'd put new fortified steel. you put whatever's needed in the spirit, Lord, into us to shore up our foundation. So every one of us, Lord, can begin to build out of these things from Matthew 7. Follow the steps, reflect on them, contemplate on them. Lord, so we can build a stormproof life. Father, that we find ourselves standing strong, standing in faith, standing with a sense of well-being, even when things go wrong, even when things are in a complete turmoil and mess. We're just confident you're with us. So bless us by your spirit. Breathe on us today, Lord. Send us out into the places that we interact with other people with a great sense of well-being, a great sense of confidence, a great sense of graciousness, mercy and love. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.